0: Wow, thank you for the good music. I always appreciate the music here at Freedom Baptist Church, and thank you young people. One one gripe about the young people special, I couldn't hardly hear the piano um, <laughs> during that. Maybe I was sitting over there at uh, <laughs> wow, I love this weather it's so cool, nice and fresh out not a mosquito in sight I tell you what, there's a lot of pluses this weather, it just, you think of the benefits I mean, hey, it cuts way down on the street people, there's hardly any of them out it cuts way down on window peepers you, you, there's none, they're, they're not out there there's hardly any streakers. It's, there's a lot. Of, when it's zero degrees, it has a cleansing effect. I'm telling you, it purifies a lot of stuff. And so I really rejoice in that. Uh, tonight, thank you for being faithful on a blustery night. I, um, I, I just uh, set up the book table. I know it was here years ago, and several of you have some of the books. When I pastored, I wrote Sunday school lessons for our adult class. I let our people ask questions, and then I did my best to answer those questions from the Bible. And I had no intentions of marketing or selling books. It was just lessons for our people. If you steal from another person, if you take something out of their book and you steal it and sell it, that's plagiarism but if you steal other people's material and it's 20 different people, that's research. (laughs) Now, it's all right to take other people's material and do your best to give attribution and all that. I never intended to collate it into books. This was just lessons for our people. But our print ministry kept those lessons and collated them into books and three ring binds them. I don't get a penny from these. I give them to pastors and missionaries that want them, and then I sell them. The The skinny ones on the right are 15, and the uh, thicker ones, they're all printed on real nice paper in color, and the blanks are just in the Bible verses, so you don't need an answer key. As long as you have a King James Bible, why, you can... Uh, go through it. And there are several hundred churches that teach through one or more of these lesson series. Um, They're available online for half price, and people download them and put their name on them, and I don't care. Um, But the idea would be, if you'd like to take a book and look it over and see if it's something you could use or value or be benefited by, a lot of people use them for witnessing tools and discipleship. They got, I mean, hey, uh, what about all the verses the charismatics use on losing your salvation? Well, there's a lesson on that. Or what? why do we insist on the King James Bible? Well, there's a lesson on that. Or, hey, can a person be saved anytime they want to? Or isn't everything predestined? Or... What about the prophecy and the Antichrist? And if I use a credit card, am I helping Satan? And, um, you know, whatever. If people ask the question, I did my best to answer it. This one I particularly want to promote tonight. It's called Principles. When I pastored, strong churches attract strong people who have strong convictions. And it's common in our fundamental circles, especially the conservative ones with strong pastors, that somebody will come in who has a conviction or a doctrine that even God never heard of. (laughs) But they really, really believe it. And they want the pastor to preach it and to make a major out of a minor And they would say, well, look, I believe it. Now, I'll just give you an example. Uh, We had a family who were really addicted to bowling. They were in three leagues on three different nights of the week. And they were just some of the best in our city. And they had trophies. And they had some 300 games and carrying a 225 average. And... They were, and they got saved. And wow, it wasn't long as they grew in Christ, they said, hey, I'm, this is wrong. I mean, the seventh frame is the beer frame and the junky music and the associations with the people that are just a bunch of lost people. And hey, it's, got a regular bar in there and then they got pool tables and all the and wow it's just preparation for the taverns and wow we're going to we're going to renounce that and we're going to we're going to just get out of that completely. Oh wonderful. Wonderful. But I'm the youth pastor and 3 years After they joined our church, I made the horrible mistake of announcing, hey, it's the second week of February, we're going to have a Saturday morning from 10 till 1 o'clock. We're going to have a bowling activity for the teenagers. And families that want to come are welcome to join us. Well, you'd have thought I was a till of the Hun. They went flying into the pastor's office. How dare you take our precious young people into that passion pit, that hellhole? I, you're just trying to groom them for the tavern. Don't you have convictions around this place? Hey, hey. I know, as long as the world stands, if meat causes my brother to offend, I'll no longer eat meat, Paul said, right? And so the pastor calls me into his office, Brother King, what are you thinking, taking our young people to the bowling alley? And I said, look, it's Saturday morning. It's the only time there wasn't any leagues. We get the alleys to ourselves. They're going to play our music. They're giving us free shoe rental, three games for $2, and pizzas for $2. I, I mean, hey, what's wrong with this? Here's the youth pastor and the teenagers and a bunch of families who want to go to the bowling alley. And here's members of the Sanhedrin over here (laughs) who are going to quit the church and take their tithe and take their marbles someplace else if we do this, right? Right? And I'm saying, uh, I believe in honoring deeply held godly convictions. I want people to have strong convictions. Don't leave me with the squishy people. I like people that have convictions. But every pastor has to parse through that. What are we going to do? And... um, So the pastor, of course, says, well, Brother King, how about if you go talk to that family and explain it to them? (laughs) Throw me under the bus! Right? And I'm saying, those circumstances come up all the time in good churches. And so I wrote this series of lessons, and it was to teach our people, don't... Let's be biblical and let's make sure what we say has a Bible foundation. And so I taught this series in in the front. You can read always a table of contents, but I just went through these five terms. Principles. A principle is a Bible truth that I must live by to be pleasing to God Almighty. Let's guide our lives by principle. Convictions. Convictions are a personal belief, right? God convicts my heart. A personal belief based on a biblical principle, which I guide my life by. Standards. Standards is a guideline to help me keep my conviction. I have standards. Not because I can prove every one of them in the Bible, but I do want to have deeply held Bible principles and personal convictions, and so I set a guideline. For example, uh, I'm never alone with a girl in a car because the Bible principle is adultery is wrong, right? Uh, I don't uh, spend a lot of time with a bunch of people who smoke and I won't work in a place where everybody's smoking. In those years, People could smoke, but I set a standard of I'm not going to be around that. Not because the Bible says thou shalt not hang out with people that have cigarettes, but the standard I set because of my conviction of how to keep a principle. And then preferences. A preference is something I choose or practice which has no direct, Biblical basis, but which I believe is pleasing to God Almighty Now this is lower than a principle lower than a conviction lower than a standard But I have a preference I'll give you an example Um, Not one time since I've been saved has there been a deck of playing cards in my house Now, I don't have a Bible command that says thou shalt not have a deck of playing cards. It's a personal preference. My, you know, uh, game gotten by vanity is sinful. I don't want to be a gambler. I don't want to get my kids in that direction. I set a standard in my house, we're not going to have it. And I just prefer not to have games that use playing cards. No, I don't care if you do, makes no difference. It's just a preference that I have right? Others may, I cannot, you know? And then hang-ups. A hang-up, something I believe very strongly, and even though I know it's not in the Bible, I wish it was. But I wanted our people, I don't care if they have hang-ups, we all do. But just don't tell me that your hang-up is a Bible imperative. It's just your hang-up. So what? Uh, This guy saying no Christian can ever go to a bowling alley, he had raised a hang-up to a conviction that he wanted to to impose on everyone else. Hey, it's okay with him, with his background, his experience, his beliefs. He probably shouldn't go to a bowling alley. That's fine. But just don't tell me that you have it book, chapter, and verse, because you don't. And so that was meant, I just wanted to help our people get to some maturity on those kinds of things. Well, we're going to be in the Old Testament. If you can only come to one service tomorrow night would be the one um, uh, girls especially just make sure you're here and in your place on time we're gonna talk about young people and the future and all of that in the message but i have some pictures to show you that aren't really part of the message they're just preliminary to it and i want to share them with you tomorrow night so i'm not big on the powerpoints and all of that kind of stuff i I know how to spell technology, but that's about all. So, But turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 18, 2 Samuel 18, and verse number 33. Let me tell you a story. In the Bible, one of the ways you know that it's a divine book is it shows... All of the people, all of the characters, even God's heroes, it shows their failures. If man wrote the book, he would gloss over anything wrong that man did. But the fact that it's a a reality check is proof that God inspired it. He shows man at his best and at his worst. Secondly... It's important to note that there are lots of people in the Bible who did mostly right things, who had a failure or two, or a lapse of judgment, or a sinful season, or a regrettable event, and God shows it to us. How many times if you talk to somebody and you're witnessing to them, and they say, well, look, you know, David committed adultery. Or you're talking to them, and they go, you know, Paul said use a little wine for your stomach's ache. The people, lost people will always fasten on anything in the Bible that they think shows human error, human frailty. Uh, they always pick that up. Tonight, just... Uh, I'm dedicated to letting you go home early, like, say, 1231. (laughs) Two points. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He does a thousand things right, and David has a good repenter, and you read Psalm 51, and God had dealt with him, and he deeply regretted the things he did. But David reaped in his family some horrendous, horrendous things. And uh, like it or not, he commits adultery with Bathsheba, and sure enough, the baby dies. And then he has uh, several wives, but while you have the sordid tale of Amnon forcing his half-sister Tamar... And you have Joab and Abner and hey, they are deceptive and they, you know, when David said these sons of Zeruiah be too hard for me. I mean, there's some guys that take it pretty serious. And then David has Absalom. And Absalom is the one who burns the barley field, and David had banned him, and wow, there's all kinds of bad blood that happens. And and then, of course, Absalom comes back to the kingdom, and he sits in the gates of the city, and he steals the hearts of the people of Israel. Now, God had planned that Solomon would be the next king, but Absalom wanted to be the next king. And so he stands in the gates of the city and when people came in with a cause that is a grievance, he would say to them, hey, there's no one deputed of the king to hear your cause, but I will hear your cause and I'll judge between you and another man who's right and who's wrong. You can come to me. Now that wicked slyly putting yourself in the place of I care more about you than the king does. Why? Because it's very common. Hey, the Grecian widows were neglected in the daily ministration. People feel neglected and they wonder if the people in charge really care about them. That's a very common and insidious thing that the devil uses to cause strife and discontent. And so, wow, the people say to Absalom, well, do you think it was right that he did this and he should never have sold me a Ford car and and I think that he should give me the money back or whatever? I lied about the Ford car part, okay? But eventually enough people said, wow, Absalom really cares about us. And so he steals the hearts of the people and announces, I'm the king against his own father. God's anointed to be king over all Israel and Absalom steals the hearts of the people and gets the majority to follow him including the priests and say, okay, well then, Absalom's our new king. So You can't hardly make this stuff up. It's are you kidding me? God anoints David and Absalom the insubordinate son steals the hearts of the people but it tells you just as an aside the average person can be easily misled. Don't underestimate how insidious this stuff is. But so David says, wow, we got to stop this overthrow. We've got to stop this rebellion. We're going to have to go to war. And the ones that are still allegiant to David say, okay, well, then we're going to divide up into companies, and we're going to go attack, and bless God, we're going to get the kingdom back for you. There's no reason you should have to be chased out of Jerusalem. We're going get to you, get you back. And David says... Okay, yeah, I guess that's, that's what we got to do. Only just promise me you won't hurt Absalom. Now you would think the guy who had just stole the hearts of all the people. But no, no, David knows he's reaping what he sowed. David knows, even though this son has problems, hey, it's still Absalom, it's still his son. And so he commands the armies, make sure, make sure, yeah, we've got to return the kingdom to me, but just make sure you don't hurt Absalom. And of course, what happens? You got Joab, and Absalom gets his hair caught in a thicket, his head caught in a thicket, the Bible says, and Joab sees him there, and they uh, they, they tell him, hey, he's, he's stuck up there, and he says, hey, hey, uh, we're not going to let this rebel go... Joab says, David's too soft hearted. We're going to, he's blinded by his family affection, but wow, this rebellion has to be put down. So he runs him through with a sword and kills him. Well, a messenger comes back, and David's waiting, and they see a messenger. They say, Hey, here comes a messenger. Well, he's probably got news of how the battle goes. And the first thing David asks him is, Hey, how is it with Absalom? And the messenger says, Well, I wished all of God's enemies were dispatched like he was because <laughs> he ain't going to give you no trouble no more. That's in the Hebrew. I, I read Hebrew, and I, I know that's what it says. And the verse we're reading now is david's reaction to the news that absalom has just been killed okay so i i just told you the story so that now when we read the text you kind of get what is david's reaction second samuel 18 and down to verse number 33 and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Preaching tonight, would God. God, I had. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these wonderful, wonderful truths that we see portrayed. Thank you that as born-again Christians, we have a conscience in us. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. We have the Bible as our standard. But Lord, we also have these stories, these accounts, these examples throughout the Bible, especially these Old Testament accounts that are meant to instruct us. You said the things that are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The things that are written aforetime were written for our admonition Lord, would you speak to us tonight? Help us to learn, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would God, would God, I had died for the Absalom. He said, wow, uh, I just am so grieved that it's come down to this, the death of my own son. I'd rather it would happen to me than it happened to him. Why? Because he's still swimming in some of the regrets of the things that he had done that led up to this kind of eventuality. Now let me just say, and, and, and point number one is, don't live a life of regrets. Don't live a life of regrets. Don't go through life saying, I wished I had done that. I wished I hadn't done that. Make, have a pattern of right choices, so you don't have to have a bunch of deep regrets. I'm gonna say this. Most people have about 10 seconds in their life that they wish had never happened. Maybe it's reaching to the radio and adjusting the dial, Crossing the center line, going over and killing somebody in a car over there. Maybe it's a moment in the back seat of a car where a girl gets pregnant out of marriage or out of wedlock. Maybe it's an unconscious flirting with someone outside your marriage that gets responded to. Maybe it's typing some words that get repeated but almost everybody has some moments in their life they wish had never happened. I'm the chaplain at the Sheriff's Department of Winnebago County, and during the big fly-in during the EAA, I get a call, there's been a tragic accident. Well, hey, I didn't hear of a plane crash. The air shows over people are leaving, I, what could possibly have happened? Imagine, if you will, uh, thousands of airplanes and kind of like, you know how cars go out of a parking lot after a baseball game, right? Here's all these rows of cars and you go down your aisle and down your aisle and you get to the main street and people merge every other car and they might have someone directing traffic and. You just roll ahead a little bit, roll ahead. It's the same way at the air show. And there's this great big old World War II tail-dragging airplane that has a 12-foot propeller and an 800-horse engine, and it's a tail-dragger that sits up like this. And when it's in that position, the pilot cannot see right in front of him. And so he tries to stick his head out the side window, but those airplanes, they kind of zig left and zig right and zig left as they're taxiing so they can see in front of them. And wow, there's these airplanes, these little home-built airplanes, six of them, all the same color, all the same kit, and while wow, they were parked in the row in front of his row. And now they're all in line to index out. And now here comes him and some of the other war birds. And he's right there. And there's these airplanes. And he can kind of see up in front of them. And there's the guy directing. Okay, now this row come forward. And so wow, he sees them. This is a guy who's been a pilot for 40 years. He's never had an accident. He's the president of the Air Club in Ohio. He's 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 driving this very rare World War II airplane that's worth over a million dollars. He's got a wife and kids at home. Hey, He gets on the radio, he's talking to the tower. Hey, I'm going to be flying to Michigan. I plan to stop there and then go down to... Hey. The airplanes in front of him all index ahead. Except the one that was immediately in front of him. That guy has a two-place home-built airplane and he's talking to the guys sitting next to him and everybody else moves up. Did you ever sit at a stoplight for just a second? So this airplane doesn't move forward, but the guy in the big airplane cannot see him. But this whole row in front has moved. Now, 10 times, they've all moved and he moved. They've all moved and he moved. They all moved and he moved. But this time, that airplane doesn't move. And he cranks his engine up a little bit. Of course, when them big heavy airplanes are sitting there, he's gotta rev his RPMs up to get it to move. And I'm there with this white airplane that had not advanced, and how that propeller of that big airplane cut through the tail, cut, and here's lines bang, 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 every four inches, cutting that airplane just. But it gets to the cockpit. And the guy on the right leans over as far as he can and it takes his shirt sleeves off. But the guy in the left seat has no place to go. And it erases him from the belly button up like a salad shooter. And there, not a shred of him left, just this blotch of blood and hair and guts. Just... Alongside that airplane. Well, he he stopped when he saw something going out to the side. Can, can I tell you? The guy still in the airplane is in complete shock, babbling, in complete shock. The guy in the cockpit is taken down. The police are gonna investigate. The FAA is there. Hey, is he drunk? Is he high on drugs? We're gonna do tests. Is he a qualified pilot? What was he doing wrong? How come he didn't? Now listen, he lost his license to fly. His, what was his occupation, his career, his lifelong love and passion, gone, gone, gone. I'm in, you know, hey, I'm the chaplain. I'm there where he's got his head in his hands, weeping convulsively. I didn't see him. I just didn't see him. I thought he moved ahead. He moved ahead every other time. Every plane looks exactly the same. I didn't count that only five went ahead. I didn't count. I, I just saw the line of them up ahead. They had moved ahead 100 feet. I was just trying to move ahead. I didn't know. He was right there. Almost everyone I know has some regrettable thing that's happened that they wish never had. No going back. You can't unscramble an egg. You can't undo what's done. And I'm just challenging you with this. David having to weep out, would God I had died for the Absalom. It's a very sad and tragic circumstance but nothing 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 can change what actually happened then turn to 1st chronicles 29 1st chronicles 29 david gets a vision from the lord a burden to build the temple we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant, out of this tabernacle in the wilderness, and we're going to build a temple for the Lord. And God says to David, hey, you're a man of war, a bloody man. You're not going to get to build the temple, but in your son Solomon's years, he'll get to do it. You can gather up the resources. And so the chapter in First Chronicles chapter uh, 29 or 28 is david gives of the government money then he gives of his own personal wealth then he challenges the elders who then is willing to consecrate his service to the lord and they give and then the princes underneath give and then the common people give and everybody has a part and they gather all the stuff for the temple and you get to chapter 29 and david is just praising the Lord, look at this, look at this. You put it in my heart and then you put it in the hearts of all the people. They're united, they're sacrificing, hey, look at this. And so then David utters this prayer and he's thanking and praising the Lord. And um, we we won't take time to read the, the whole passage, but he says in 1 Chronicles 29... And uh, he says, Lord, look, uh, this all came of you. Who are we? What, what are we that we should be able to offer such a majestic offering? And Lord, we're so unworthy. And Lord, all of it was yours in the first place, and then you let us handle it. And it wasn't a boast. It was the testimony of a grateful heart. And look at the prayer just lifting a verse out, first Chronicles twenty-nine, verse thirteen and fourteen. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willing after this sort willingly after this sort, for all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. I want you to just notice that phrase. We thank thee and praise thy glorious name. And I just want to make the second half of the sermon. The first half is, Would God I had. But the second half is, Thank God I did. Thank God I did. Would God I had. Thank God I did most of us if we want an excuse for failure or criticism we would have it we know the law of sowing and reaping we know that sin is punished but life is too short and way too important to be careless or to be selfish or to live in bitterness life is hey take your licking you had it coming I live right on Highway 21. I live at the bottom of a hill, and the state police love to sit in my driveway. There's trees, nobody can see it. They're coming down the hill. And, wow, I had little kids, and I didn't want people speeding by my house, so I'd take a plate of cookies out to him. Officer Grover, I mean, hey, I just thank you, and I got little kids in the yard, and I don't... Well, all of a sudden the red lights are on and he's got this teenage girl stopped and she was doing 80 in a 55. And she's pulled over right in front of our house and she's weeping and wailing and I don't have the money and what's going to happen to me and I need my license and... Please don't give me a ticket and my parents are going to... And she's having a ballistic fit. And the officer, who I think would give a ticket to his own mother, (laughs) just writes out the ticket, hands her her license back, and says, look, it's just a stupid speeding ticket. Pay the fine and get on with your life. sometimes you gotta just say pay the fine and get on with your life don't let this be your identity don't let this ruin your next 10 weeks or 10 years we had a a dog and I like dogs not so much cats but I like dogs They say, you can pet a dog when you want to, but you can only pet a cat when it wants you to. (laughs) But anyway, my sons had a dog, and they built a fort up in the tree, and it was time for lunch, and the dog, they didn't want him to jump out, so they tied him up, tied his collar and his leash on him, and left him up there. But when he... While they were in eating, the dog found a way to climb up on the side and jump over the side and commit a dogicide. Well, my son, Ethan, come out, and that's his dog. And he starts screaming, Seth hung my dog! Seth hung my dog! Now... Seth didn't hang his dog. And so I just told him, I says, hey, look, it's just a dog. It was my dog. It was my dog. He killed my dog. And so I just told him, I said, look, I I unhooked the, the dog, and I took him, and I just handed him to him, and I said, look, if you want a pet that can never hurt you again, Just keep this one right here. He'll never run in the road. A cow will never lay on him. A car's never gonna hit him. He's never gonna run away. You just keep him. You can keep him in the house. You can keep him in your bed. Just keep this one. Well, dad, I'm not gonna keep a dead dog. When you're raised on a farm, you think differently about it than some people do, I just say. Now, I'm not cheapening the life of the animal. I'm simply saying, hey, life's too short to dwell on these kinds of things and let them paralyze you for the rest of your life. Be honest, be humble. You've done some dumb things. You've wronged other people. Uh, Nearly every person has those thou mourn at the last. You say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. We've got a guy in our church who had a four-wheel drive Jeep, and he was proud of how it's handling on the ice. And boy, he had just shown me the day before, man, I could I don't care if there's ice on the road. I can go 50, 60 miles an hour. This thing, I'm telling you, it's it's just got great tires, and I can, but that very Sunday after church, while he's driving home in his Jeep with the big tires and all of that, a car came from the side road, wasn't able to stop on the glare ice, put the brakes on, slid right out in front of him, He T-boned the side and killed the wife and the daughter. I don't care. He's not a careless person. He was driving the speed limit. He wasn't breaking any law. But his wife had been saying, Honey, slow down. You're going too fast. I don't, I can... Now, this is my best friend. He's regretted that for 40 years. There's no going back, it happened. But thank God what he has protected us from, that could have gone a lot worse. He didn't lose his farm, he didn't lose his wife and his kids, The guy was a Christian, he forgave him, right? Thank God it's not all bad, it's not all rotten. Thank God I did. So just a few things here. Don't live a life of regrets. Give God the preeminence, set goals for yourself, stay true in your marriage, be kind in your deeds, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Just do a bunch of right things on purpose so you don't have to worry about regrets. Um, My dad used to say, and you can quote me on this, there'll be plenty of people to condemn you and criticize you and call you stupid. Don't you be one of them. Hey, I'm not going to live self-condemned I'll pass on that. The Bible says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to turn, if you will, just to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. No matter what has happened, go on about your life doing what's right to do. Go on about your business. Jesus said they hated him before they hated you. You'll be criticized, you'll be maligned, you'll be misunderstood. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I was quoted or cited as, Oh, Pastor King, don't think you should do that. Pastor King would never let you do that song. Pastor King doesn't think you ought to. I can speak for me. Don't bring me out like I'm some kind of secondhand club. Uh, Pastor King, we had a, a guy in our church stand right up and say, Pastor King, I don't like the way you walk. He says, you look, and he says, your chin is up more than 90 degrees to the floor. And that's a haughty look. Now, this is a guy who walked around like this all the time. I think he had stenosis of the neck or something. If you're, if you're wondering if you can please everybody, no, the answer is No. And the verse I want to show you in Ecclesiastes 7, notice what it says here in verse 21. Just get on down there. Don't focus on every word that everybody says. In verse 21 it says, Also take no heed unto all words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For thou knowest, for oftentimes... Also, thine own heart knowest that thou thyself likewise has cursed others. Do you think ever there was a time that one of our staff members said something uncomplimentary about me? Right? That's just part of life. That's just part of living. It says take no heed to every word that's spoken. Don't fasten on the criticism. Just say, thank God. I know with a pure heart my motives and what I've done and I've tried my best before the Lord to do what's right and I'm not going to live. It's not how you handle conflicts, it's how you resolve them. And it really helps me to know I was... It happens in our county, I was liked among the courts and the probation and parole and I honored the district attorneys and the police chiefs and all of that and so whenever a new judge was seated at his investiture why they would ask me to come and pray and there was a guy who had been a lawyer first he was a prosecuting attorney one of the public i mean a a public defender Then a prosecuting attorney then he went into private practice Then he ran for judge And he was a county judge, and then he became a federal judge. And at his retirement, 50 years in jurisprudence, he's there, and they're having a a dinner feeding him, and he's asked me to be at the head table, and I'm going to ask the invocation to invoke God to bless the occasion and whatever. And I'm just sitting there with him and just chatting. And I said, you know, you've been in law work all this time and you've been a lawyer for all these years and a judge. And wow, you've seen all these cases and all of this stuff. And wow, what, what would you say is the main thing that you learned in all those years of dealing with people? <laughs> Without hesitation, he says, well, Randy, he says, it never ceases to amaze me the capacity of the human heart to seek vengeance. He watched humans, and at the end of 50 years of dealing with the law, it never ceases to amaze me the capacity of the human heart to seek vengeance. A lost man, a lost man. And I'm saying, don't live a life like that. Don't live a life like that. Have a pure heart and mind and soul before God Almighty. Understand this world's got its problems. You have your failures. Don't live a life saying, would God I had done that. Would God this had happened. Would God I had done god Listen. Say, thank God I did this. Thank God I had this. Thank God I had my wife this many years. Not, I wished I'd have had her 20 more. Don't say, oh, I wished I'd have made more money. Don't, don't constantly. I know people that went on Mediterranean cruises. I never got to do that. Well, thank God you got to canoe down a creek. Learn to appreciate and be thankful and say thank you. Thank God I did. I'm going to close with this. When you're a pastor and I was a chaplain and for 15 years, I did death notifications and it was common for me to be included at the funeral home when they were planning the funeral. Commonly, people would say, well, Pastor King, could you come? We're going to meet with the funeral director and we're going to pick out a casket and a vault, and, and then we're going to plan when when, and where the funeral, will we have it at the funeral home or at the church, and will we have a committal service, and will there be a procession to the cemetery, and what will be all of the things, and uh, should we have a meal at the funeral home or during the visitation? or Exactly, so would you be there? And so the loved one has passed. The family is gathering. Here's three or four kids. One of them is the executor of the will, power of attorney, whatever. And after you do this as many times as I have, if you sat in the chair of the funeral director, here's what you can tell. You can tell from 100 miles away, which one of those children is a disenfranchised child. You can tell which one told his parents off and quit school and ran away from home and lived in a dope community in San Francisco for 20 years and had no dealings with the family. You know why? Because they come to the funeral home And the first thing they say to the brother who was minding their financial affairs all that time, to the sister who was hauling them to the hospital and getting the care, to the one who was providing health care at home, to the one that was making sure they got the medicines, to all the ones that had been doing the right thing, this one that's the outlier, this one that's the, the... disenfranchised one the rebel of the crew he comes back and it's you know mom would still be alive if you'd have got a second opinion I think that was a stupid doctor and you guys didn't do enough for her, and how come you didn't call me and we're not having one of those cheap $5,000 caskets we're getting the $10,000 black walnut one and we're going to get a vault 8 inches thick concrete and I'll tell you what We're going to celebrate. What are they doing? They're compensating for bad relations all those years. I close with this statement. Kiss your mama's lips while they're warm hear me? Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't be so bitter that you can't forgive and be reconciled even if you were horribly wronged or offended or hurt or kiss your mama's lips. Don't wait until she's cold and in the casket and then you, weeping regretting, moaning. Then you go up and kiss mommy's lips, and you utter these words, would God I had. Listen, listen. Life's too short. Relationship's too important for you to live a life of regrets. Say at the end of your life, thank God, I was a bigger person than that. Thank God that I didn't let that one failure paralyze me the rest of my life. Thank God that I wasn't identified by somebody who's bitter and angry and critical. Thank God that I had the grace to forgive, to get beyond, to grow. It's time for the best Christian to be the best Christian. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would God I had, or thank God I did. I wonder tonight, just in the quietness of this moment, thank you for your attentiveness, but I wonder... Don't you want to end your life when it comes to the end of it all and say, I'm mighty glad that God gave me the grace, God gave me the convictions, God gave me the joy that I didn't live a life of deep regret, broken relationships, alienation, and anger but I learned to be gracious and kind and humble and forgiving, that I learned to love even the unlovely. I don't want to say, would God I had. I want to say, thank God I did. You're here tonight and you say, I'm mighty glad for the goodness of God upon me Thank God I did right the best I knew. Would you just slip your hand up? Thank God I did the best I knew how. I'm not perfect, but I'm mighty glad for the things I've done that were right, respectful, honorable. God bless you. God bless you. And then who would say, Pastor King, I've got a couple things that I wish had never, ever, ever happened Would God, I had not done that. And I'm one of those that has to battle through and overcome a scar, a failure, a reputation, a hurt. But I don't want that to be all my life is. I'm battling through things. I have some things of deep, deep regret. But I want God's help for that. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? Wow, several hands. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, you see the hands. Thank you, Lord, that you're a mighty good God, that your grace is sufficient and your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Help us kiss our mommy's lips while they're warm, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your